0: This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Work Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Amen. God is good. God is good to us. We love Him. And that is the name above all names, man. I can't tell you how many times the name of Jesus has saved my life from so many different situations. Well, today uh, we're sticking with the title that we've, uh, well, the theme that we've been with since the beginning of the year. Who knows what we've been talking about for the last... Eight weeks prayer. All right. Very good, because this year our verse is Isaiah 56, 7, and it says he is making this a house of prayer, and we're supposed to be that. And as we've seen, clearly not every church is a church of prayer. Not every Christian is a Christian of prayer, though we all agree it's super important. The fact of the matter is just a lot of people don't really do it that much, even though everybody says it's super important. I don't understand and we don't understand why if we know how important it is, we don't make it a priority. I mean, you know, we, if, if we announce free donuts, free hot dogs, free candy, we can draw thousands of people, but if we announce, you know, a half-hour prayer meeting that'll change your life, like four people come. I don't get that, but you know, we'll, you know, we've discussed this, so what we're talking about this week is this, is the family that prays together stays together. Amen. The family that prays together stays together. And what I want to discuss this morning is the importance of raising your family, your children, your husband, your wife, your life. If you're single about your household being a house of prayer, because, you know, we all go along with, well, this is a church. It should be a house of prayer. Well, shouldn't your private residence be a house of prayer as well? Shouldn't it be? I mean, people should. It wouldn't it be great if people walked by and like, oh my gosh, they just felt the presence of God upon your property, and you're like, well, that's crazy. It's happened. It's happened. Listen, when you invite God, when you invite the Holy Spirit into your house by making your house literally a residence, a house of prayer where you live, doesn't that sound so much better than a lot of the homes that we see in America today? They're houses of war, houses of hatred, houses of strife and division, and nobody can get along. And and I mean, you can walk into some houses and just feel the strife. And the anxiety and the bitterness that is so thick that it's in the air. Have you ever been in a house like that? So don't look at me crazy when I say you can walk into a house and feel the presence of God. If you can feel the presence of the devil, you can surely feel the presence of God inside of somebody's house. And so, you know, as I'm studying this out, I notice it's a certain young man's birthday today. Mr. Francis Frank Church is turning 72 years young, right? 72? Come on. And, you know, I was thinking about Frank. Man, this guy's been through a lot. He's served in Vietnam and served in the military I like, 26 years or so. And uh, maybe, was it 26 or 28? 26. And, uh, I mean, you know, a real, in my opinion, American hero. But one of the things that I admire the most about Frank is how long this man has been married to his beautiful wife. <laughs> now, how many, Pam, how many years is it now? 50? 49 beautiful years. And so, anyway... We're uh, just uh, giving Frank a hand this morning, all right? We love you, Frank. And, and so what I'm getting at here is I've seen God do a work in this family in the amount of time that I've been here. And I kind of, you know, can use that as an example today of what it means when you submit your household to God and let your house be a house of prayer. So say it with me. The family that prays together stays together. Do you want your family to stay together today? I do. All right, so we're going to look at something here very interesting, and I want you to open your Bibles to Joshua chapter twenty-four, verse fifteen. Joshua twenty-four, fifteen. Thank you. And um, you know, if we look back at the past few generations of American society, I, I, at least you know my short period I've been around, and from the things that I read, that things have changed a little bit, and maybe the past couple generations. Some could be for the good, but some for the not so good. You know, we a lot of uh, just broken homes of things that we see. And um, and, uh, you know, I, I blame a lot of what's gone in our in our society on the downfall of the American family and home. Now, if you need an outline for the sermon, raise your hand. The ushers will give you one if you didn't get one coming in. But I blame a lot of the things we see in our society on the breakup of the American home. And it's sad, man. It's, it's sad to see that this is not where God wants it to be because I believe that one of the best strengths that a church or a community or a nation can have is unified Christian families. Do you realize how terrified the devil is of a married mom and a married dad, male and female, married together, having children... Raising them in the ways of the Lord, raising them and praying with them, teaching them the Bible, teaching children how to live for God. And then um, and, do you realize how big of a threat that is to the devil? And do you see how much he has attacked the attack the household in our society, it's a sad thing. And I see a lot of the problems that we witness are because there have been broken families. And I, I hope I don't bring up a painful spot for anybody today, but what I'm trying to do is encourage us and show us what God wants for us and how you, no matter what your home status is right now, divorced, single, married, loving, it, whatever your status is, I want to show you how you can absolutely be a house of prayer and keep that family together. Amen. And so let me show you what Joshua said in Joshua 24:15. Because the Israelites, they made it their law. They had conquered the Promised Land, but people are being tempted. To, well, you know, maybe we should, maybe we should join this group. Maybe we should worship these gods. They're, they're confused about which god to worship. Joshua makes no bones about it. What the choices are? He says, "But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today who you will serve. You're going to serve God, or aren't you? Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates?" Or will it be the gods, the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Amen. And we uh, listen, there's a lot of options presented to you today. You do not have to serve God. You nobody is going to force you to make that choice. But you do have to make a choice. What I found out is there's a lot of people that they're indecisive in 2018. They don't want to make decisions. They don't want to to make choices. Well, I don't care. Just whatever, whatever. Listen to me. There are some things it's okay to be indifferent on. Doesn't matter who makes your favorite taco. That really doesn't count for anything. That's nice. It doesn't matter who you think the best football team, whatever. But there are some things that you simply have to make a choice on. If you, you're going to have to choose who your household is going to serve, that choice has to be made. It's either Jesus, and if it's, if it's, it's well, I don't know, I just I don't want to force my kids, I don't want to decide, then you've made your choice, and your choice is not Jesus. You have chosen for your house to not serve the Lord. There are two choices, Jesus or not Jesus. Anything else, well, you we know, we like this a lot, and we, we support this organization, that's fine, but that's not the right foundation. That's not Jesus. That's not serving the Lord. And so you can be indecisive on a lot of things in your life, but you will be forced to make a choice on this one thing, parents, husbands, wives, whatever you are. You do have to choose who that household's going to serve. And Joshua said, you, you choose. I like, what? It's up to you, man. But as for me and my family, we're going to keep serving the Lord. I don't care what everybody else does. And so let's look at three things today on how to keep your family as a family of prayer, a household of prayer. Number one, choose to pray together. Choose to pray together. Now, I'm not going to ask, but I can imagine, if I were to take a poll and ask how many of the families here you literally do pray together every day other than for the food, I'm, I'm, I don't know I don't know what that percentage would be, but I don't think it would probably be close to 100 percent. I think it'd be way less than that. And you know, uh, Katie and I are learning more about parenting every day. Uh, nobody told me that it was going to be this much of an adventure. You should have warned me, but you didn't, so thank you but uh you know so we are learning man every stinking day but one thing that i am happy to say and you know that i that i am happy about is that we do pray as a family every day every member of the household even sam is learning but he's you know he's not very intelligible yet but we're learning you know and so, my kids go to school in Victorville, so we do have 35 minutes each way, four times a day. What are you going to do, man? I mean, listen, that's perfect time to pray. And so, every day on the way to school, man, everybody in the car prays. And they pray what's on their heart. And, and usually, sadly, there's usually a fight over who gets to pray first, but... You know, it's better than some fights that can be had, I guess. But once you settle that and let one of them go first, and they pray for everything, man. They pray that they'll have a good day at school. They pray for their owies. They pray for their friends. They pray for you people. Do you realize that? There's children, not just my kid. There's kids in this church that have probably saved your life through prayer, and you'll never even know about it. they probably saved the day for you. And you don't even know because some little kid at church prayed your butt out of a bad situation. Sorry. But, you know, you got to realize that, man. And so we pray. We pray for, for the Lord, protect our church family from Fort Irwin to the Marine Base to Victorville, to all their schools, to the railroad, wherever they are today. Jesus, protect them, bless them, and help them to act like good Christians today. Because I have some of you on social media. All right. So we're learning each day that you need to be a family that prays together. Now praying together is more than just a cute thing to do. I think a lot of times when we say the kids are praying, some of you get the misconception that that's a, you know, a, just a cute thing and it is cute and it's adorable, but it's more than cute and adorable. There's power in their prayers because they actually believe that something's going to happen. And so we've got Sunday night prayer going on from five to five thirty, and, uh, And children are coming to prayer. And you're like, children? Oh my gosh, what if they hear someone speaking in tongues? (laughs) It's great, man. It's, It's incredible. The kids come to prayer, and I look over, and there's little kids with their eyes closed and their fists clenched, and they're praying, and I'm like, wow, gosh, the kids need to teach a prayer class for some people here. That would be, if they could do that. But I want to show you something, Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. Matthew 18, verses 19 and 20, amen? And, uh, and so I want to sh- show you, man, the power that is in prayer. Matthew 18, verses 19 and 20. And who thinks that it, it wouldn't hurt your family to pray together? I mean, if you don't think it would help them, uh, at, at least it wouldn't hurt them. Surely it would do no damage if you and, and your wife and kids prayed together. But Matthew 18, verses 19 through 20 Jesus said, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything, say anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my father in heaven for where two or three are gathered together in my name. I am there in the midst of them. There's a lot of power in those two verses. He said they can ask for anything. And my name, if you're concerning, if you agree concerning anything that you ask, you can ask my father in heaven and it shall be done. And now, listen to me. A lot of times we look at that verse and I know I've been guilty of. Well, I need to go find another Christian. Let me get to the church and I'll you know, find a Robin. I'll find a Melinda. Raul. I, I, I seem to find me another another Christian to get because if, if there's two or three of us gathering his name, why couldn't the two or three be your wife, husband or children? why couldn't why couldn't why does it, why couldn't it be the very people in your household because we all know this is a house of prayer but if your house is a home of prayer you'll read that verse and be like kids get around there's two or three of us let's let's pray the fire down right now and you could get the kids right there right there if you will make your house a house of prayer you could use this verse and not have to find the nearest adult big person to pray with that you're not related to you could find somebody that you're related to in your own house and you could pray two or three of you could agree on something and your father in heaven would be right there in the midst of you and you would have a miracle in the works on your hands. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? So I'm, I'm, I'm challenging us today that we need to be making our house a house of prayer and it wouldn't hurt you to use the kids. It wouldn't hurt you to teach your kids how to pray and it wouldn't hurt you to have that extra level of faith in your house because, listen, kids believe in the power of God. They believe more than we do most of the time. Why wouldn't you want that on your team? Why wouldn't you want that in your corner? You're losing out on some of the most valuable weapons they have. You know what? a uh, Psalms. David wrote that the, uh, a man that has a quiver full... Of arrow. He's talking about children. He said, listen, the more kids you have, you've got a quiver full of weapons when the enemy comes. Isn't that great that your kids, if you train them in the ways of God, they aren't a burden to you. They're the best asset that you have. They're praying you through everything, man. They're praying. That is a gift. And this is what God ...intended for families to be. Do you see why the devil has attacked the American family in such a great way and it's worked brilliantly and crippled our society morally? Do you see that? That has been his plan all along. And so children believe. I was reading this story this past week about this lady that grew up in Romania. And her, I mean, at that point in time, under communist rule, it was illegal to have a Bible, to own a Bible, or to go... Uh, you know to have a church, but her and her brother they found they were playing around under and they they found their floor a bible and they didn't know what it was they never heard or seen of this thing so they're reading this book and they're and and they're reading these stories about this guy named adam and and and, and this lady named eve was created and and god created the heavens and and they're and they're just dumbfounded like what is this this is the best story book that we've ever read and so they're reading it but no one's ever told them anything else more than that then they found this wonderful story book that they like to read to each other and so one time somebody invites them to an underground church, a hidden church that's in somebody's basement. And they didn't know what they were going to. They just thought there was a get together. So the lady, and she's a little girl, and her brother go to this church hidden away in the basement of somebody's home. And, and a guy gets up and he opens up the same looking book that they found under their floor. Then he starts reading some of the stories that they recognize. They're like, he's got the same book we have. And so he teaches them and they had read about prayer, but they had never heard anybody actually pray. They never heard anybody do it. They just read about this prayer thing. And this guy stands up and prays to God. And they're like, they've got all these questions. And so he described, yeah, he reads them some of these verses. You can agree on anything and God will do it, man. If it's in line with his will, according to his will, he'll do it. And so they had one request. They wanted to pray for snow because when it snowed, then everybody was in a good mood there. And they got to play it late at night and they got to go out and have fun. And, and, and it just kind of it brought a little bit of joy when snow came. And so they prayed, and it seemed like, well, nothing's happening. And, and so one day they're out in their little village or whatever, and a truck pulls up, and it's a group full of missionaries. And they're in a hurry because they're doing something illegal. They're passing out Christmas presents to all these kids really quick, right around Christmas time. And she gets her box from the missionary, and she's like, how much does it cost? And the missionary says, it doesn't cost anything. This is a gift from Jesus. And she's like, I know Jesus. Jesus. So she's been praying for snow, though, so she opens, this is a true story, opens up the box, and it's this little ball thing, and the missionary shakes it. It's a snow globe! It's a snow globe! And and she's like, oh my gosh, and she said that was the happiest moment of her life. She could make snow any time that she wanted to see snow. And so Jesus answered her prayer, and I saw a picture of this lady as an adult now. She's got the snow globe all these years later. And it's something that God answered this child's prayer in an unconventional way. And it, it, it absolutely changed her life forever. So I am telling you, it's okay to teach the kids to pray. It's okay to involve them In church, in your spiritual life, you won't regret it if you make your house a house of prayer. The family that prays together stays together. And I'm glad my parents taught me how to pray as a kid. I remember a lot of Saturday nights were spent walking back and forth on the church altar praying for the service the next day. And I, I'm pretty thankful for that upbringing because I know the stories my dad tells of his upbringing. Saturday nights were a night for getting drunk and getting in fights and getting the cops called on you and all that stuff. And so, like, I'm thankful that I was brought up in a house of prayer. I'm very thankful for my upbringing. And maybe you're like, well, my upbringing wasn't like that. Well, you could do, do that to your kids then. Bring them into church. Pray with them. Do it at home. Change it right now, man. Well, they're adults. Well, start working on them. Start working on the grandkids. Do something. But listen, you are called to be a family of prayer. You are called to be a family of God. And you're sitting there thinking, well, we're very godly right now. You should see my family. Well, that could change, couldn't it? Couldn't it? Could that not change? By choice. Joshua said, go ahead and make your choice. But as for me... And my family, we're going to serve the Lord. Whether you do or not, we are. And you need to have that attitude. So, number one, you need to choose to pray together. And number two, that was number one. Number two, you need to choose to go to God's house together. You need to choose to go to God's house together. What memories are your kids going to have when they grow up? You know, I, I talk to people all the time that... They either have great memories of when they were a kid and they wish they could go back, or they have nightmares about their childhood and they just wish they could block every second of it out. And so my question is, just consider it. And I I sometimes I'll sit there and consider, what are my kids going to say about when when they're 25 and look back on their childhood? What are they going to think? Are they going to be, like, happy? Are they going to say, man, those were the good old days? Are they going to be like, thank God I survived that. That was awful. Hopefully they won't say that, but... But what I'm looking at is ask yourself, what are the memories that you are building and instilling within your children or grandchildren or whatever your, your case is right now? What are the memories when they're 25, when they're your age right now? What are they going to remember from childhood? I, you know, I, I, that, you, only you can answer that question. But one thing I know is this, that it would not hurt you to pray with them and it definitely wouldn't hurt you to go to God's house together. And I know a lot of people are like, well, I'll drop the kids off. But listen to me. Stay-at-home parents don't raise go-to-church kids. They follow the example. Stay-at-home parents don't raise go-to-church kids, and I can guarantee you that lukewarm parents definitely don't raise devoted-to-God children. If you are lukewarm... If you don't take it very seriously except for when you're in a real pickle and you need God to bail you out. If, if that's the level of your faith, praise God, we're not judging you. You're going to go to heaven. Thank God for that. But I'm just telling you, the chances that you're going to raise the next Billy Graham are probably not that great. Because lukewarm parents do not raise on fire devoted kids. It doesn't work that way. And I know that, you know, I'm just, I'm speaking from experience, because I don't know, I mean, I can only look at my life, I don't know everybody else's, but going to church wasn't optional in our household. Uh, I mean, of course, my dad was the pastor, so, you know, it seems like, well, you had to be there. But never once, never one time, out of living there for 18 years, never one time, 52 Sundays a year, 52 Wednesdays a year, and then many times more than that, not one time. Talking Did they ever say, do you kids want to go to church today? That never exited their lips. But there was also never a time, really, that I could think of that I was like, do we have to go today? Do we have to go to church? I don't want to go. I wasn't forced to. It's just what Christians do, so we did it. And people that are really disciples of Jesus, they're nuts and they'll go more than once a week. They're crazy. So anyway... But I'm telling you, I and I'm looking back on my childhood and I can say in all sincerity, and you can laugh at me, preacher boy. But listen, I do not regret going to church every Sunday and Wednesday. I, I, I can look back and say there's never a time I can say, man, they forced us into church. They forced their religion down my throat, man. They made us pray. They had to read our Bibles. They're brutal dictators. They are put us in bondage, man. I don't. I don't feel that way about my childhood. I am full of joy and happiness. I look back and it was great, man. It was awesome. I loved being at church. I loved... I loved the way that I was raised. I don't regret it. I don't feel like I was held back or missed out. I've never been drunk in my life. I'm not bragging on me. I've never been drunk. I've never been high. I've never smoked a cigarette. And I've never had sex before I was married to my wife. And I'm not ashamed of that. I don't feel, I don't feel guilty. And I don't feel like I missed out on anything. I don't feel like, man, I really wish I could have gone back and just gone out and got drunk a couple of times. I don't have that feeling about, you know. I, I'm just saying, I don't regret that my parents raised me to serve God. So let me show you a couple of things here. Proverbs 22, verse 6. And nothing that we are saying today is to make anybody feel condemned or judged, so get over that real quick. And also not to say that we have it all together, because we surely don't. But I do know that I, it's helping my kids to learn to pray. It's not hurting them at all. And they're reading their Bibles. That's definitely a good thing. Uh, but Proverbs 22, verse 6, and wouldn't it be great if when you had people and you invited them over to your house, they walked in and were like, man, I just, wow, this is so peaceful here. I remember one time Henry came over to my house, <laughs> right after Henry started coming to church, him and Alex had been out at Barstow Station laying hands on the sick or something and they come in the house and Henry comes in and he's like, whoa, I've never felt so peaceful in my life. <laughs> I'm like, really? Are you serious? Like, but anyways, like, man, this place has the peace of God. I'm like, that's good to hear because you should have seen what was happening ten minutes ago. There was a naked child running through my backyard swinging a golf club. It was, yeah. Katie was out of town last year was visiting her parents. So she calls to FaceTime and she's like, how are the kids doing? And I'm like... Everything is great. You would not. She's like, "Can I see him?" I'm like, that's ah, all right. They don't. I don't want to talk right now." And so she's like, "Can I see the kids?" And so I, you know, I flip it around and I'm like, "There's Joel and Isaac. Where's Ellie?" And so I knew she was in the backyard, but I didn't know she was naked in the backyard. And so, and so I'm like, "There's Ellie. Oh my gosh!" And I'm, whoop She's like, "Everything's okay. Are you sure?" Yeah, everything's fine. Just don't, don't worry. Dad's got it under control. But yeah, that you remember that? You remember that? That was wild, man. I still don't know why she was naked in the back. It's fenced in. No one can see. But still, that shouldn't have happened. So, Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he shall not depart from it. Now, I mean, you listen, you could take that as being the Word of God, or you could say, well, that wasn't my experience, or, you know, whatever. But I've learned this. You don't judge the Word of God based on your experience. The only fair thing to judge the Word against is itself. You can't judge, you know, and say, well, that, that didn't work. Listen, I don't have the guts just to tell God that His Word doesn't work. If you've got the guts to stand before God and say those Scriptures don't, don't work... By all means do it, but let me stand over here because I don't want to be there for that conversation. Okay? If, something, if, if, I, if, if something didn't work in my life, I'm just going to say, well, I know the word's true. I know that much. I'm not going to question that. I'm going to examine and evaluate other areas of my life, but there's no way in the world I'm going to say it was God's fault or that the Bible didn't work. I don't have the guts to do that. that you're, you're, if you do, then more power to you, but I don't, I don't have the guts to say to God that his word doesn't work. But it tells us to train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Well, some people I've heard say, well, that means because all kids, they do end up straying, but then when they're old, they'll come back to it. If that's what you're believing for, then go ahead, Jack. You believe for that. I am believing that my kids are not going to depart from the Lord at any part. I am believing that their whole lives, they will not depart from it. I don't expect perfection. I mean, they make mistakes. Every person ever born does. But I'm not going to sit there and say, well, I know that someday they're going to stray, but I just pray that when they're old, they won't depart. They'll come back. If that's what you're believing for, then according to your faith, so be it unto you in the words of Jesus. But I'm saying they're not going to depart from it. And so let me show you one other thing here. Romans 10:17. Now, most of you could quote this verse at High Desert Word Center, but let's just throw it up there. Romans 10:17. So we're talking about the importance and the value of Attending church together as a family, of bringing your kids, bringing your wife, bringing your husband to God's house together. It is, it's important. And as I'm saying, man, if you think that it's not that important, the least that you could probably agree with me on is that it's not going to harm them. They're not going to get hurt here. It's at least a safe place. It won't hurt anything to, to pray with them and to bring them to the Lord's house. Man, and if I sound old fashioned today, then good. Because old-fashioned was really great. It worked great for thousands of years Till all of us geniuses screwed it up with our modern wisdom. <laughs> oh, we can operate a smartphone, but we can't operate a marriage. We can do a computer, but we can't raise kids. We can, we can cure these diseases, but we don't know how to keep... Anyway, so Romans ten seventeen. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You ever heard that? And that's true. Any time that you hear the Word of God with an open heart, faith is going to come. but specifically, this is talking about a public setting Romans ten seventeen literally is talking about the public setting, talking about the preacher being there, preaching the Word of God now. Hey, you should be reading at home and you're going faith's going to come because that's the word of God. You should be listening at home. Faith's going to come because that's the word of God. But specifically, it's saying right here, faith comes by hearing the word of God. And it is talking about in this instance from a preacher, from a pastor, from whatever. But don't you think that you want your kids to have faith? Do you want to have faith? Well, I can tell you this much. You are not going to get it if you don't ever go to the Lord's house together. If you don't think that it's that important, you have got to make this a priority. Because anytime you hear the word of God, faith comes. And yes, you can get faith and build your faith at home in some instances, but there's no way you can be the Christian that God's called you to be by neglecting going to the house of the Lord. You're not going to be all that you're supposed to be by never showing up with the rest of the troops by never showing up to be in God's house. So, I used to hear all the time this statistic that I believed for whatever reason. And I even, I even quoted it in sermons. But I used to hear that the divorce rate amongst Christians is just as high as it is amongst the rest of the world. Has any, anybody ever heard that? I've heard that. That, well, you know, the divorce rate amongst Christians is just the same as it is the rest of the world. And that is only partially true there is a, a a slight sense of truth to that when studied when polled, when when examined the divorce rate amongst people that profess or claim yes i belong to the christian religion people that identify as christians that go to church on on Christmas and Easter, CEOs, Christmas and Easter only Christians, whenever they, the divorce rate amongst them, yes, is actually slightly, actually about 20% higher than the general populace. So I would say that all the time, that, well, well, it's just the same. But listen to me. The truth of the matter is this. A Harvard social researcher, Shanti Fieldhan, did a very extensive study amongst Christian couples that, Actually go to church at least once a week. Christian couples that literally they don't just say we're Christian, they we're talking about people that are legitimate Christian, they really are Christians that actually go to church together, that divorce rate jumps nearly as low as five percent. That is insane. That is incredible. When the rest of society's 50% or higher, couples that actually don't, that literally do go to church together, that divorce rate plummets to like the lowest thing you've ever seen. That is absolutely, I don't say mind blowing, but that's incredible, incredible. Why is that? Why, how could that be such a stark difference? Well, because when you're at church, you're getting faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. You're probably a family that prays together if you're a family that goes to to God's house together. You're probably a family that even though you have struggles, you work it out. You're probably a family that even when things get hard, you use that faith that you've acquired at church together to fight the enemy and overcome the battle. Man, we're letting you in on a big, big secret, a big, big advantage that you have today. If for no other reason, as a married couple, that's good enough for me to go to church right there. If for no other reason. So let's talk to the dads for just a minute today. Dads, are you in the house? Apparently not. Okay. Ladies, did you bring your husbands today? Men, are you here? Thank you. Thank you. Don't leave your brother hanging up here. My gosh. You're making us look weak. The women need to see us strong, right? Thank you. Anyway, so uh, Mother's Day is consistently, all across America, the third highest church attendance day behind Christmas and Easter. I've seen this my whole life. Mother's Day, next to Christmas and Easter is the third highest church attendance, and we know it's going to, every year, we know it's going to be that way at High Desert Word Center. You ladies are going to tell your kids and your, you know, husbands that don't come, that will you go to church with me on Mother's Day? And for no other reason, they'll do it because they love you. And do you know what the lowest attendance day nationally for a church is? Father's Day. This is statistically proven. That's below, we all know, let's, I'll just tell you some that pastors know, we all generally know that Labor Day and Memorial Day are going to be some of our lowest attended Sundays. We all kind of know that in advance. But I'm not saying skip this Labor Day and Memorial Day, be here. But you kind of know, generally speaking, most every pastor knows that. But what I didn't actually realize until now is that all across the U.S., Father's Day is statistically the lowest attended church Sunday of the year. What is up with that? Well, we do know this much, and I have studied this actually, that women do generally, and this has gone on for millennia, do tend to be more spiritual than men. And if you look at church records from centuries and centuries ago, you would see it, even when they kept attendance, there was always more, even when there were more men in the, the general population than women, there was always women attend, more women attending church, even like 14, 1500s. So, I mean, that's good, the women are doing their part, but talking to the men here today, listen to me, we've got to step up, because as sad as these statistics are, do you realize what's even more sad, is that children, and I've got stats here I'm going to read, almost always follow the dad's spiritual example, even if they don't like their dad, they follow his spiritual example. If mom was a saint that went to church every Sunday and they loved her and worshipped her, but dad was a jerk that they didn't really like, but he—I'm talking about dads that are present within the home—but he chose to not go almost always. Kids, even if they don't like the guy, they'll fall that I'm thinking of somebody I know right now that their mom, she, someone, well, okay, I won't say names, but someone I'm related to and one of my aunts was an absolute saint. Most beautiful, saintly woman I've ever met in my life. Love the Lord. Husband, not so much. There's a list of things we could probably say about this. But he was not a saint. His kids can't stand him. They hate him. But they follow his spiritual example. They can't stand him. But they followed his spiritual example. Why is that? Because there's something within the human being that tells us that the father's the head of the home, the Bible says this, this isn't chauvinist 2018 hatred, that the Bible says the husband's the head of the wife and the head of the household. And so even within us as children, we somehow know that that's my spiritual example. Mom's a saint, she serves, she gives to charity, she goes to church, and she's the absolute best woman in town. But for some reason... We just have it within us that we follow dad's exception. Now there's exceptions to this, but there are very few that I've witnessed. I've not seen very many times in my life and I've grown up in church. My, you know, 32 years now, uh, I, I've seen, I've seen some exceptions, but very few exceptions to where kids, even if dad didn't go, they, they follow mom's exam. I have seen it happen. I just haven't seen it very often. And so, I looked up some stats. This is from the Promise Keepers organization and Baptist Press. If a father does not go to church, even if his wife does, only one child in 50 will become a regular church attender. About one out of 50 will actually grow up, even if mom goes, but but dad is in the household and doesn't go. But listen to this. If the father does go to church regularly, regardless of what the mother does, nearly 75% of those kids grow up to be regular church attenders. So, when only mom goes, it's 1 in 50. When dad goes, usually that means mom's going too, but regardless if she does or not, nearly 3, 4, 75% of those kids end up being regular church attenders. Yet dads are the ones that go. Are you seeing why there could be a problem in our society? Are you seeing why... There could be families that are not sticking together. And I realized, I mean, well, listen, a lot of moms are doing their jobs, that some are not, but most of the moms I see are doing a, this home run of a job. And I see a lot of guys that are slacking. And I'm not, you know, hey, I'm a guy, so I'm on your side, guys. But I'm just saying, listen, you can't leave this to the ladies. We have a critical, a more critical role than they have to play in the spiritual upbringing ...of our children. And so, uh, when both parents go to more than one service a week... ...72% of kids will do the exact same thing when they grow up. But when only mom goes to more than one service a week... ...only 15% of kids will do the same. Now here's the stat that I find the most striking. If the mom is the first one in the household to become a Christian... ...there's a 17% probability that everybody else will follow... When the father is the first in the household to get saved and become a Christian, there's a 93% probability that everybody in the household will follow. Isn't that incredible? That, this is striking to me. So, if you're in here, man, you need to realize how important it is. If you Listen, it's up to you. What do you want your kids' memories to be when they're 30? What do you want them to do with their lives? If you really don't care about the spiritual... If you just want them to make a whole lot of money, I would enroll them in some business classes on Sundays. I would, you know, Barstow College is great, great economic. I mean, if money is the number one thing, just make it number one, man. If you want them to be the best athlete in the world, I would go ahead and just start focusing on that. But I just... I can tell you this much, though, that that will not save their marriage when they're having marriage trouble, that will not help them to give you godly grandchildren, that will not heal them when disease comes, and that will definitely not bring them joy when depression tries to come to their life. Okay? So, what Well, It's up to you. What do you want the future to be for you, for your family? We're talking about being a house of prayer this year. But let's say that you need to make your residence, your personal home, a house of prayer. And it's not going to happen, especially dads, but all of us. But it's not going to happen if we can't man up and take it seriously and raise our kids in the ways of the Lord. Can I get an amen today on that? The third thing we're gonna say is this, number three, choose to be stable. We talk about this Wednesday night, I'm not gonna re preach that, but choose to be stable. And I do what I wanna give a hand today for all of the godly men that we have at High Desert Word Center. Don't we have look at they're all over the place here. We've got great dads, great husbands, and I wanna give a hand for all the godly moms that we have at High Desert Word Center. Come on. We're blessed, man. We're blessed to have this. It is a blessing to see a church full, a church full today of moms and dads. And, you know, there's a lot of kids next door. There's probably 40 or 50 kids in the next building over that are here with their parents today serving the Lord. And that's a beautiful thing to see right now. So God is good. But you need to choose to be stable. The the biggest advantage that you can give your kids isn't education or money Or whatever. The biggest advantage you can give them is a stable life. Especially spiritually speaking. To give them a stable house to grow up. Do you realize that your house is supposed to be your haven of peace? That is supposed to be your sanctuary from the rest of the world. It can be all nasty out all over the rest of the world. But you should be able to say, I want to get home to my house tonight. and get, that is my place and my wife and my kids are there. I need to get home with my family. It shouldn't be, well, work was bad, but now, great, I've got to go home to the family now. It's going to get even worse. I know it's that way for some people, but it shouldn't be that way. And that's not the will of God. God's will is that your home is an absolute sanctuary, haven, a beautiful place of the peace and love and joy of God. That's how it should be. So let's look at Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 today. I'm going to look at a few verses here. Luke chapter 6. Are we learning anything? Are we motivating ourselves to have a godly household? Yeah. Yeah, we are. Luke chapter 6. Verses 46 through 49. Now, I've heard it said this way if our greatest need in life was education, then God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need was entertainment, He would have sent an entertainer. If our greatest need was money, He could have just sent a philanthropist or a banker. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so He sent a Savior instead and I think you need to think about that when you're looking at your household. What's the greatest need? Is, is it entertainment? Then by all means, man, get a get get a season pass to the theme park and make sure you get, you know, get a Fandango membership and buy movie tickets. It's fun, man. It's good. If that's the greatest need and your family is entertainment, then you need to put all your money into that. But if your greatest need is to have a godly, peaceful home, I'd start putting some investment into the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about money, I'm talking about time. Investing into the kingdom of God. Luke 6, verses 46 through 49, Jesus said, uh, 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 So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Some of my favorite verses, and I preach on this a lot. But, well, that, it's a good question. That is a legit, you know, people are saying, Lord, Lord. He's like, okay, time out. I don't, why do you call me Lord, but you don't even do what I say? I am not your Lord. And it's the truth. Jesus may be your savior, but for some people, he is not your Lord because you don't do what he says. A Lord is somebody that you obey and submit to. And so if if you've got Jesus in your heart, but you're a little rebel and never obey anything that he says to do, quit calling him Lord. Just say, Jesus is my savior and I'm going to heaven someday. Good for you. Yes, you are. But he is not your Lord because you are calling the shots in your life and you never let him call the shots. He's not your Lord. He's your savior. Thank you. Verse 47. I will show you what it's like when someone, number one, comes to me, number two, listens to my teaching, number three, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep. It takes some work to build a good fountain. You've got to dig deep. It does take work. And so, you know, a lot of times people are like, well, Christianity is so easy. Legitimately, it's easy to receive the grace of God. But honestly, you've got to get over that. There's some work. It, It takes some focus and it takes some intentionality to really lay the foundation. You do have to dig. You do have to show up. You do have to do things God's way. And it's not always easy. Sometimes He asks you to do things that are not what you want to do. It can be really hard sometimes. But the results are well worth it. So he says when someone actually listens and follows what I'm saying, it's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it's well built. But anyone who hears. And doesn't obey. So these guys have something in common. They both came to Jesus. They both heard the word. But this guy, he didn't do the third part. He didn't obey the word. What's this guy like? It's like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. And so I'm asking, what type of foundation are you laying in your household today? There's a lot of things that are nice additions to the house. I have a very nice garage door, but it would make a lousy foundation. Would not want to place brick on top of it. I mean, the shingles, I have a nice roof. I had, you know, after the wind damage last year, I had some guys come out and they said, no, your roof's fine. I've got a great roof, but I don't want it to be the foundation of my house. It would collapse. And some of us, I mean, you've got good things in your life. There's another one with the sports and the entertainment and and, uh, the education. Those are all great additions to the household. Those are all great things. But I'm telling you, they make a really bad foundation. Whenever the storm comes, because it is coming, came to both guys, whenever the storm does come and your whole foundation system is money, what are you going to do? Money can't heal you. Money can't fix our marriage. Money can't bring strayed children home. Money can't do that. But if that's what you built it on, your house will collapse just like that. What if you've made your foundation sports, and you've spent, you know, hey, you've just put everything you've got into it, sports, sports, sports. And when we have the time off, then we know we'll give, we'll toss God a bone, and I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll go to church if we got time for it. But we're just, I mean, listen, it's it's what March Madness and whatever it is that you're worshiping this week. But listen to me, if that is what you've made as a foundation, I love sports, man, I love it, I, and I'm very into it. But I know better than to make that the foundation for my family. To base my children's future upon football? Upon basketball? Are you kidding me? What happens when they get sick? And my dad says this. Nobody has ever laid a football on a sick child and said, Be healed in the name of Peyton. Be healed in the name of Wilson Spalding. Be healed. I command you, come out in the name of Jerry West, the NBA logo. He can't do it, man. It's not going to happen. But can I tell you how many times I've laid hands on somebody in the name of Jesus and seen incurable diseases? We've cast the devil right out of people in the name of Jesus. We've seen people heal. I've seen addicted people delivered just like that through the name of Jesus, but I've never seen it happen because they just started doing sports. Listen to me. It's all fine stuff, but it's a lousy foundation. And so what are you making the foundation for your household today? The family that prays together stays together. And usually those families go to God's house together. And usually they're really stable people. I want to show you one last thing because it's it's great, great advice. And it's the Word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's go there. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I was, I was talking to a guy. Uh, his cousin used to be my landlord. A uh, great guy. And they're both successful businessmen. But uh, one of the... The guy I was talking to, he was talking to me one day and, and we were talking about his cousin. He said, I was so jealous of him growing up. I'm like, why? Like, you guys basically grew up the same. He's like, he was raised in a Christian home. Their dads were brothers. One was a Christian, one was not. He said, I was so jealous. I wanted to live with them so bad. I'd go over there on weekends. They'd have. It was so peaceful. People were happy. They loved each other. Then I'd go home and my we were throwing each other through walls, breaking each other's bones and fighting nonstop. He said, I just I was so jealous of my cousin growing up. I, and I, I still wish that I could have been raised in that home. And I was like, man, eye opener. Wow. Wow. Isn't that sad that he regrets his entire growing up? But his cousin who lived in the same town right up the street had a totally different experience. That's the difference that Jesus makes in a home. And so Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. And this is how the the Israelites, how the Jews were supposed to raise their kids. And this is brilliant advice. This is awesome, man. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. So we're talking about God's word right here. The law God's word. It says, this is what I'm telling you to do with your children. Repeat again and again to your children the words of God. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. What if you surrounded your children by the word with the word of God like that? You're on the road, so you start start, start talking to the kids about Bible stuff. One fun thing you can do, parents, is make up little Bible trivia games. I do this, you know, make, just make up little games and your kids are learning the word of God. And, you know, you don't make it worth one point. You make it like this one's worth 50,000 points. He's going to get it, you know, and, then, and 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 listen, it makes it fun. You're talking about the word of God with your kids just as you're coming and going, driving when they're waking up. You have a verse. I mean, do you think that would somehow is there even a slight chance that would bring more peace to your house? Even a little chance? I think there's a really big chance that it could. And so the Jewish people were told here, listen, repeat these words to them when you're at home, when you're on the road, going to bed, getting up, tie them to your hands, wear them on your forehead as reminders. I'm not giving you permission to tattoo a scripture on your forehead. I will slap it off. But anyway, write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gate. Listen to me. I know a lot of you. Go ahead. Show hands. Who has Bible verses up around your house? Good yeah man that 's a good thing, whether you 've got a little plaque, whatever, even if some people are like, "Well, that just does just religion, no it 's not, man. Having those around, I took three by five cards and plastered. I hope she appreciates this. Plastered my bathroom wall with Bible verses. I mean, it doesn't look like cool, but it's, it's really powerful. When you go in there, you know, you, there's just Bible verses everywhere that I look. And and it's great, man, because when you're having a down moment and you're just walking into your bedroom and you see a bunch of note cards on the wall reminding you to quit being a fool, reminding you to quit being a moron and to grow up, that's good to see. You need to see that stuff. And so it, the Jewish people are told, man, write it everywhere. Post it. Talk to the kids up when they're coming and going, waking up. This is how you live your life, surrounded by the word of God. And when you choose to do this, our third point is talking about being a stable household. Do you think this will make your household stable? Thank you for your thunderous silence today. That was incredible. I'm talking about, do you think this could build the right foundation for your home today. And so I want to encourage you that the family that prays together, stays together, get your kids into the house of God every chance you get. Don't don't make it optional ever. We go to church because as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. A lot of us say amen to that, but we don't follow through with it. Well, I don't want to force them. They're going to feel like it's boss. man. Shut up. Listen to me. As, don't say amen to that verse ever again if church is simply a nice option when there's nothing else going on that day. If that's your attitude, never again, when we quote Joshua 24, 15, you are forbidden from saying amen because you don't actually agree with it. You think that you can just make it. So you are hereby forbidden from amening Joshua 24, 15. But if you are the type of person that says, no, I mean this. I'm going to raise those kids with everything that I've got to serve God. They're going to stick with God when they're old. They won't depart from it. We're going to pray together. We will read scripture together. We will be a stable household. If that's you, stand up right now and say this with me. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and give God a shout of praise today. Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to go ahead and close things out. And and uh, man, if you're here and you're like, well, I'm single, that doesn't apply. Well, you start laying the foundation for that house right now, because someday Mr. Wright, Mrs. Wright is going to show up. Then you have a bunch of kids and you want to have the foundation laid before they get there. Amen. All right. Well, get my prayer team up. There.